thanks to our sponsor, Avpoint. If you like the cloud show, you will love the Shift Happens podcast with Microsoft MVP and Regional Director, Dux Raymond Sai. Each week, Dux talks with one of the industry's brightest stars about their most challenging modern workplace or digital transformation projects. He uncovers the players, organizational hurdles, and last-minute surprises that inevitably arise when ambitious people try to impact their workplace. Season 1 features FedEx, Wells Fargo, Heathrow Airport, United Airlines, and other industry leaders. Go to www.avpoint.com forward slash blog forward slash shift happens or search for the hashtag shift happens that's one word hashtag shift happens wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe today this is the microsoft cloud show episode 355 today ac and i catch up on the latest microsoft cloud news recorded live april 9th 2020 this episode is brought to you by sharegate As fans of The Cloud Show, we'd like to think that whenever you have questions about Azure management or governance, you turn to us, or at least other cloud professionals like us. Our friends at ShareGate agree that when users connect directly with the experts, the whole Azure community benefits. That's why on May the 7th, ShareGate is hosting Deploy, a free online event where they'll be bringing eight well-known cloud professionals directly to you, wherever you may be. Over the day, these experts will provide practical advice and help you improve your Azure governance tactics. To learn more about Deploy or save your spot, visit sharegate.com forward slash deploy. Back to the show. AC, welcome. This is uh, trying something new today, man. How you doing? Yeah, pretty good. This is, we have a slightly, for those of you who are listening to this as we publish this uh, after the fact, um, after recording, I should say, we're also doing a test stream this week. So we are live and streaming to uh, a couple of different streaming platforms just to try this out with some new software that you've been using called Wirecast. And and um, I think we're going to try this in the future, but for realsies, right? We're going to broadcast producing the show live and see how it goes. Yeah, this is... Um We've talked about trying to maybe doing something to kind of level up the show and stuff. And we thought, you know, hey, why don't we consider doing a, a live stream with our audience, like on Facebook Live or something like that. So, yeah. So right now we're not broadcasting this on Facebook Live on the podcast page. We wanted to get a drive on. We wanted to make sure this works. So we're actually, we wanted to be able to screw it up in private. Exactly, yeah. And I've already realized <laughs> that there's one or two things that I made a mistake on. So the funny thing about this, though, is that we're actually streaming this live right now on my Twitch account, and there are now five people that are watching the live the live stream according to what's going on on, on my account right now. I know there's you, and I know there's me, and I have nobody else who's watching. So anybody who's watching this live is uh, getting a, a bit of a treat. They're seeing they're seeing the rough cut for all of this. We're trying to make this as much of a dry a dry run as we possibly can. So <laughs> yeah. Well, there's already two things I've learned. One, going from an audio-only podcast to video, I need to tidy up my office. And two, I need to either cut my hair or put on a hat. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I've got, I have the same thing that I'm thinking about with my office as well. The cutting the hair thing, I think that that just goes along with, you know, being quarantined and all that. So I think that there's not much I can end up, I'm going to end up being able to do about that side of me, for, that side for me. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to come out of here looking. Well, I shouldn't really go there. I was going to say Jesus, but that might offend some people. But, you know, long hair and a bit 
scraggy. How about yeah. that? <laughs> Long hair and a bit scraggy. It definitely works. So it, this is a, it's a first time for us. I mean, hopefully we're trying to make it to where at least we don't lose an actual episode that we're recording. Everything seems to be looking fine in the background that I can see off on, on our other little preview screen here. I guess when I let you start doing like the first bit of news, I'm going to sit back and I'm going to take a picture of my screen so that people can see like, you know, how to be quite frank, how chaotic my desk looks right now, because I'm the one that's producing this whole thing. But uh, yeah, I mean, if we figured, hey, if somebody wants to tune in, they want to see us, what it's like, then we're recording a show, then we'll live stream it uh, straight on our Facebook page. And uh, if not, I mean, the same show is going to be recorded and be uh, provided through our normal RSS feed that you get in your podcatcher of choice and your earbuds and stuff. So yeah, yeah. Should not be I mean, it's too- just another way to consume, right? If you want to watch the video. The Facebook videos, I imagine, will be available after the fact as well for watching at a later time. And so you can either watch the videos and um, look at us laughing at each other half, you know, during the shows or your regular way through a podcast app. Yeah, definitely. So I guess first thing we should do before we get too far. In- it's something a bit new for us. Yeah, it is definitely new for us. I don't know. We'll see how it works. We'll see if our sponsors like it too, because if they don't like it, that kind of dictates, uh, you know, hey, they're telling us that you guys shouldn't do this. You should, um, <laughs> you should stick, stick, with stick to the audio. <laughs> you suck at that. <laughs> Boo, get them off. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's not as good as Fair everyone enough. thinks it is. But uh, at any rate, but uh, yeah, before we dive into that, go, I mean, you know, so how you been? What you been up to the last, since the last time we got together and recorded an episode? Oh man, I'm slowly going totally nuts. How about you? This is not quite as different for you. I mean, there's lots of bits of life that have changed, right? You've got your whole family at home the whole time. You've got all of the stay-at-home rules and you know, going out and all that. But I, I am just not used to being home as much. And I'm weirdly, I'm craving the office. I think I'm going through that. I'm pretty sure there's the, it's like the, the hype cycle, right? At first, you're like, wow, this is really novel and really cool, and I'm really into it. And then you're like, what? <laughs> what the hell is going on? I'm pretty sure I'm in that phase at the moment. Yeah. It is not that much of a difference for me. The kids are doing a really good job of schooling on their own and doing the, the online mm. education. I'm very careful not to call this homeschooling because I, I know people who homeschool and parents do homeschooling. That's totally different. And that's a choice that they made. None of us that are not doing homeschooling and our kids are forced to go to school from home. This is not a choice that we made. This is a, this was imposed upon us yes. because this is what needs to happen. But I will tell you a funny story. My wife and I were downstairs. I was getting ready to uh, make lunch. I think it was two days ago. And all of a sudden, let's see if I can if I can mirror, mimic this a little bit. All of a sudden, I hear a little bit of like this commotion upstairs. I hear a door open and I hear this. And then I hear a door <laughs> slam. And then about 30 or 40 seconds later, I hear a toilet flush. I hear a door open. I hear this. And a door slam. And then another <laughs> bit of a crash. And Mary's like, what the hell was that? I'm like, oh, I think someone's between two calls or someone just had to use a restroom in the middle of a call. About 30 minutes later as I'm wrapping up lunch, my daughter comes downstairs and she's like, I said, she goes, oh my gosh. So I was like between two calls. I'm like, yeah, about 1130, right? And she's like, yeah, it was right 1130. I'm like, yeah, I figured that. And she's like, I had to use the bathroom. I'm like, I got it. I totally got it. I've been there. I, it I know what it's like. Just, you know, she goes, I forgot I grabbed my mic and I ran out and all of a sudden I hear this crash because my headphones like pulled my uh, laptop across my desk and they, then they ripped off my head and I, ran, I had to go to the bathroom so bad. I was like, yeah, I got it, <laughs> That's sweetie. Funny. I got it right there with you. <laughs> 
I have been playing uh, a bit of Division 2 on my computer in the evenings and um, just to sort of t- totally zone out. And, and, um, and I was playing with this group of guys last night that I don't know, you go through matchmaking and stuff and you get, hooked, you know, you get connected with other people. And um, I got chatting to them and it turns out two of the three were these young guys that had, one was I think at school, like high school or something, one was at university, I think, and they were both, you know, they're basically both off. And the high school had, he was on a two-day bender of Division Two. Like he'd been playing almost two days straight with no sleep. And I was like, "Are you serious?" He's like, "This is the best thing ever." It's like I don't even have homework. I don't have any school. And I was like, "Man, yeah, that's gonna come crashing down on you one day." I'm like, "I only get a solid eight hours." <laughs> I'm like. Dean Martin after a weekend bender, man. I'm just like, I'm ruined, you know? And ah, uh, the youth, the youth. Yeah, it's, I mean, things are, we have a bit of a routine. I know it's affecting different people in our house a little bit of a different way. And I think we're doing fine. It is a little, I hate to say that I feel like I'm comfortable in what we're doing right now, or I'm, I'm used to it or something, which I really don't want to be used to it. And I want to get things back to normal, but I, the fear that I have is that there's going to be this push to get things, quote, back to normal as so quickly mm. that we're going to have a resurgence of this thing. And I just, I saw something this morning where, um, like where I live, Delta is the main carrier coming out of the Jacksonville airport. And they have the United States Department of Transportation, in order for airlines to get any kind of reprieve or any kind of help, from the government, they have to maintain a certain minimum number of flights out of an air, out of airports that they classify as like, you know, high traffic, medium traffic, whatever. And Delta has gone from 158 flights out of Jacksonville to five a week. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. It doesn't surprise me. I, yeah. There's a lot of chatter that's going on. I mean, we'll talk a little bit about it too in one of the news, but there's a lot of chatter about, you know, how this is going to impact like conferences and all that kind of stuff. So Yeah, for sure. How about we... Uh get into some of the news and bits and pieces for this week. I think that's a great idea. This episode is sponsored by Raygun. Raygun provides full stack error, crash and performance monitoring for tech teams. Whether you're a software engineer looking to diagnose and resolve issues with greater speed and accuracy, a product manager drowning in bug reports, or you're just concerned you're losing customers to poor quality online experiences, Raygun can provide you with the answers. Get full stack error and performance monitoring in one place. The next time you're struggling to replicate errors and performance issues in your code base, think Raygun. Head over to raygun.com and get up and running with in minutes and dramatically improve the online experiences of your users. And now back to the show. All right, AC, let's dive into some news. That sounds good. What you got for us? Well, we'll start off by, I'm not sure if this is exactly news or just hearsay at this point, but there is a report that Microsoft is only going to do online events until June 2021. So we obviously knew about Inspire, Build, and Ignite being the sort of the big three that Microsoft's gone virtual with for 2020. But also now there's a report coming out that that will continue into 2021 at this point, and and we won't have any of the biggies until mid-next year. I imagine Ignite might be Inspire, maybe, or Ignite might be the first big MS tech conference next year. Yeah, there's... I saw this article that we'll have in the show notes. This came out last, I think, Wednesday or so. Since then, and it, there's somebody in the article from Microsoft confirmed it, but an unnamed source. And then since then, 
there's been more stuff coming out about that is definitely does not seem like this is hearsay. I mean, there's more stuff that you're coming mm. from different sources from Microsoft that definitely sounds like this is definitely legit. Some of the things that are a little confusing about this is that apparently there's some rumblings that I'm hearing from people at Microsoft that it depends on the size of the event. And because there's an event that I've heard that's going to happen in, in October later this year that was scheduled and actually booked after some of this news started to come out for Redmond for a specific for another specific thing and I don't want to I don't want to name which one it is because if I'm if it was incorrectly done or there's just I mean I'm sure that there's there, there's mistakes happening left and right not at Microsoft but just in general in business right now so if it was something that just kind of two wires got crossed I don't want to throw somebody into the bus but it seems like there's a little bit of a mixed message on this that's coming out but yeah I I mean I'm with you I'm hearing all the major Microsoft conferences are effectively shut down it's all the ones that they run which from this, it's curious, how are the other guys going to react to this? There's a one that I'm currently involved in in, in August in Seattle. And there's one that I'm involved with over in Amsterdam in November. The SharePoint conference has, it seems like they've gone to great pains over the last couple of years to say it is a Microsoft conference, but it, we all know it's a third-party conference. But if it is a Microsoft conference, then if I read this news correctly, they're not going to be allowed to hold this because it was rescheduled for next March. But now all of a sudden they're going to start saying, no, 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 we're not Microsoft, really third party. We're not. There's still a lot of stuff that's going to come out and shake out about this. And we got to know, you know, when's, when is it going to be safe? First, you know, medically, when is it going to be safe to be able to start traveling again? When is it going to be safe to start opening this stuff up? When is it logistically going to be an option when airlines can actually start doing this again? And then yeah. when are people and companies going to be comfortable to even start doing this as well? That's the big one. Yeah. Like when are companies going to be feel comfortable sending one of their own people to a remote location from their normal spot and feel comfortable that they're not going to come back sick and things like that. So I honestly believe like we won't really see widespread large events like this until there is a vaccine because otherwise you're running that risk and also you might spend some days in hospital being treated for it. I, I believe treatments will come sooner like to help help you get better but not to stop it from stop you from catching it. But I'm no medical expert. But what I hear is that it's going to take a while to get a vaccine. So that seems reasonable to me. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty common sense, right? So it might be a while till we get back to meeting in person, but uh, at least in a big scale way like that. Yeah. F1 actually came out and said, we might do races later this year, but they might be closed gate. So they might just be for television audiences only, you know, because fans are obviously keen to watch Formula One races and, and IndyCar races and all that. But the sport, I don't think, is going to hold in-person events, which can get up to 250,000 people at a, at a venue when there's the risk of being responsible for steepening the curve. Yeah, yeah. there you go. You're right. I mean, the, the big thing was on when are people going to be comfortable and actually going back to these events. And, yeah. you know, I'm looking at the one that I've got coming up in August. I got one that's coming up in November. I'm not. And I don't want to be the first one, second, third, fourth, fifth one to go fly and to see what's going on here. I mean, it just doesn't... There's just too much risk involved. And that's the thing. The thing to me is that it's just there's there's too much risk and there's for the benefit that could actually come out of this. And for the people that say, you know, what are the chances you're actually going to get sick? And what are the chances you're actually going to die from this whole thing? And it's like, you know, here's the thing for me. And every day you seem to read something else, not on like the whole conspiracy theorists or whatever, but like what the medical people are saying, that they're learning something else about this. And they don't, they're still trying to figure this out. 
And even yesterday, I saw, you know, the, the guy, the main, like, it seems like the figurehead of this virus in the United States is a guy that advises the president uh, named um, Dr. Anthony Fauci. And he effectively told some reporter, he's like, there will be plenty of time for us to second guess and to postmortem and all that kind of stuff, this whole thing. And we'll figure out what we did right and what we did wrong. But right now, and he, I'm paraphrasing what he said, right now, back off and let us do our damn job. And it's like, you know what? That's the thing. So don't get ahead of ourselves. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of virus stuff, Microsoft has come out. In fact, guy I used to work for, Rob Leffitz, uh, is quoted in this statement, uh, in this article, about being aware of hacking threats due to the virus, right? So in effect, Rob, who now works on Microsoft 365 security efforts, uh, he used to run... Um, part of the WSS team and part of SharePoint team and Office team and so forth. That's where I worked with him. He said, and I quote, they know many people are clicking without looking because stress levels are high and they're taking advantage of that. So basically what Microsoft have come out of said is they've identified 2,500 different data points from coronavirus-related hacking threats, they call them. I'm guessing what they're saying here is, hey, people are at home clicking on emails they get about the virus and about other things from other companies about the virus and it all looks legit and you click on it next minute you're being infected with malware or doing something you're downloading something you shouldn't or you know opening an attachment you shouldn't or whatever and that level of safety is lowering i guess people are taking higher risk or being uh, more risky anyway they've they've identified 2500 points that they're that they're noticing that People are hackers out there are taking advantage of with people to try and get in. Which, you know, if there's nothing more nasty, I suppose, for want of a better word, than hacking somebody, it's doing it when they're down, mm-hmm. you know, doing a time of crisis and, and a time of crisis. And, you know, there is a special place for these people that are doing this to others. I agree. In, in vulnerable moments like this, you know, it's terrible. Aside from, you know, aside from all the virusing stuff too, I mean, it's the same with like the links that you're seeing for different articles and it's, you're seeing Facebook trying to be aggressive on removing some stuff from from their site. You're seeing Medium is being aggressive on removing stuff from, from their site as well. I, somebody shared an article with me the other day that was a really in-depth kind of like medical assessment of the whole thing. And I'm looking at it, I'm like, okay, I respect this person. This person's not someone to share, like, bullshit stories. Yeah. And then it dawned on me, I'm reading it. I thought I was reading it on Medium until I looked at the URL, and it was from the Wayback Machine. And I'm looking at this like, okay, this got pulled down. But I'm like, wow, this is really compelling, though, about what's... And mm. it, it, it referenced a bunch of facts and showed much... It either was a really well-done hack job and conspiracy theory... Because it was a very, it was a very, it was a very believable story, or it's just crap. And it's one of those like I almost like copied it and shared it. I was going to send it to you and to, um, to somebody else, and then I saw the way back, and I'm like, I don't know enough to know if this is right or wrong. So I'm going to wait yeah, and see if yeah. they say this in the bigger in the bigger media yet. So you might have just heard some clicking. That was me typing on my keyboard because I just had this. I just remembered this video series called Spying on the Scammers. And it's a four-part series. And I don't remember if I've mentioned this on the show before, but I've decided I'm going to stick it in as one of my picks this week because of this topic. But, you know, I'll talk a little bit about it now because it's it's totally related to this, right? So there is this guy, a.k.a. Jim Browning. I don't actually know if that's his real name. (laughs) 
who's posted a four-part series on his YouTube channel about spying on the scammers. And so he's he's posted videos in the past. You know when you get those calls from, hi, it's the IRS and you're part of a tax scandal and you need to give us all your money and stuff. There are people that fall for those things. And in particular, you know, people call you and say that they're Microsoft and that they need to access your computer because it's got a virus. Anyway, so he's led these scammers down the garden path and participated and he's taken over their computers before and done all sorts of stuff uh, as part of it. It's fascinating to watch. But this four-part series, when he has managed to break in, well, break in is, that's technically dubious term, but but in effect has managed to break in, get access to their CCTV footage from inside their building and can see them on these calls and, and has access to a bunch of their files and things like that. Anyway, he exposed this call center and it, they've been busted by police in India and things and it, and it got shown on a TV show in the UK, I think, as well about it. And it's just a really interesting insight into how these hack uh, scam operations operate and prey on people. And it just it blows your mind that, A, that people can fall for this stuff, but also that that they're so, I don't know, professional, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Like they're in a real office building with like a kitchen and <laughs> desks and like, it's, it looks like a regular call center. Yeah. It's amazing. I know the video you're talking about. I remember I've seen this before and it's, it is, it's part really interesting and it's part infuriating yes. to see it because it's just like, you can't believe that there's actually people that are doing this, but. They're playing Pac-Man as they convince people vulnerable people into giving them money mm. to unlock their computers and things. Uh, it's funny you say that about Pac-Man. You hear um, Pac-Man's like real life going to the grocery store during the coronavirus, right? You're The whole goal is to get the fruit and to avoid everybody <laughs> at, and take any route necessary. <laughs> I tell you what, I would like one of those doors that gets me from one end of the supermarket to the other instantly without going past anybody. You feel like That'd you're in the corner sweet. with that damn snake game, right? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, um, switching gears, we had a, I think this is like, uh, what, part three of the Zoom saga? <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was a really good article that came out about, I think it was by The Intercept, about Zoom's encryption is not suited for secrets and surprising leaks to China. Mm. The gist of this article, and I'm not going to try to be a security person or act like one on a podcast, but the gist of this article is that when there are, the way it works is like when I establish a Zoom call with, with you, CJ, it connects to the Zoom servers, I get a key, and then when you want to connect to that call, it gives you my key so that you can connect to my call. Those key management servers, I think the article said something like there's 30, 25 or 30 around mm-hmm. the world, and five of them are in China, and technically... Mm-hmm. Zoom is obligated to give the keys to China if China says they absolutely have to have them. Mm. And then there was a whole thing about this where they rolled their own security algorithm. I know we got some other links in here too about this whole Zoom stuff, but I tell you, it is, we talked about it a little bit last week. It still feels to me like there's some sort of a hack job that's going on on Zoom right now. Totally. About people just absolutely trying to, to bring them down. But on the other side, I'll tell you, it is a very good lesson, in, I think, in customer service and how you can deal with a crisis as a company. The CEO is meeting it head on. He's attacking it head on. He is doing everything that it seems like he's supposed to be doing. He's doing weekly updates on the on what they're doing. Mm-hmm. They're shipping updates to Zoom so so darn quickly. Unfortunately, it's affecting me because they they killed my virtual camera ability to be able to stream to Zoom. So, but it's like I, I, hopefully that'll get fixed. It was working yesterday afternoon. Sorry, it was working yesterday morning. It was not working yesterday afternoon because they did an update, and it's now I can't I can't do a virtual camera in Zoom anymore. So, I mean the. Huh. 
the important snap cam is gone. So I don't know. Uh oh. Yeah. How are we going to get the famous pickle? I, right now, I can't. I can't do it in a Zoom call. I can do it in a Teams Uh-oh. call. Go figure. So now, does that mean that Teams is less? I don't know. I don't, I don't oh, know. Weird. <laughs> weird. Yeah. I mean, along similar lines, there was an article that came out about Zoom recordings being exposed to thousands of people, thousands of meetings. This. Now we're getting to the sort of the pseudo FUD stage as well, because this article was pointing out that there's a search engine you can use which ser- which searches like S3 blob storage buckets. And there were thousands and hundreds of thousands of Zoom meeting recordings found. And it turns out people are recording their Zoom meetings and then they're taking those recordings and they're sticking them somewhere insecure. And somehow that's Zoom's fault. Yeah, Zoom could change their naming of their meeting recordings to be something that's not searchable, you know, like with a common pattern yeah. for searching. But beyond that, like, you can't stop people. Like, if people upload their private meetings to YouTube and expose them to the public, you can hardly blame Zoom for that. No, and you can't blame Zoom for someone has a link that has the password and the meeting ID in it, and they post it up on the internet somewhere on Facebook, and anybody can join. It's like, how is that? There? Oh, it's called Zoom bombing. How's Zoom bombing? Oh, they get the link and they just drop into a meeting. It was a public meeting. Yeah. How is that their fault? I don't yeah. know. No. Uh, so yeah, I, I agree with you. I think the Zoom CEO is doing a great job, and they've also they've also done the whole ninety day tools down, only working on performance and security stuff, which is a great initiative. And they've also made a recent contract hire. There was a very prolific security researcher, I believe. I forget his name just off the top of my head. Who they contracted yesterday to participate in their security council type initiative they've got going internally. He was very critical of them on Twitter over the last couple of weeks, and the CEO reached out to him and said, cool, how do you want to come work for us for a bit to help us fix this? And um, I mean, how? That's fantastic. What a great way to play it. So yeah, I think they're taking it seriously, and they're going to get better. This podcast is brought to you by Nintex. If you could score an extra hour or two back in your day, would you take it? Because our friends over at Nintex want to give you a gift, the gift of time. Seriously, if you haven't checked out what Nintex has to offer lately, you definitely should. The platform built on Azure has evolved a lot. In just the past few months, the Nintex team has added new process mapping capabilities and most recently, a new eSign capability called Nintex Sign, powered by Adobe Sign. Nintex also continues to revolutionize products you know and trust, including Nintex Workflow and Forms. With the power of Nintex, it is faster and easier for you to configure, not code, giving you valuable time back every day to sprint it however you want. Test drive the Nintex Process Cloud at Nintex.com. And we're back. All right. Okay, I think we're back. <laughs> For those of you who are listening, we're like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, we're doing this trial run with streaming, and so we're trying to get all that timings right and all that sort of stuff. So excuse the hiccups, which won't make any sense in the audio. But if you if you were watching a video feed, it would it would make a whole lot more sense. But oh anyway, yeah, you see me just there. going crazy right there. I totally screwed up the <clears> buttons. <laughs> no, no, we'll be we'll be all good. We'll be good. So. Office 365 news, obviously continuing the theme from last week, I believe we talked a bunch about Teams usage. Jared Spataro, my old boss from Microsoft, came out actually today that we're recording this with some more data. Now, I find this fascinating on a couple of fronts. Firstly, Microsoft are being very open all of a sudden with data about Teams. And I think that's happening for a couple of reasons. One, because this is their... In terms of a disaster, this is the best thing that could have happened for Teams, right? And so they're obviously trying to make sure that 
they capitalize on this as much as possible for commercial reasons, but also for being good in the world and helping with education and all that sort of stuff. And two, I can't help but think that, you know, like Slack started talking about numbers. And I remember saying at the time, like, oh, God, this is a terrible idea. Pull up. You're not going to win a numbers war with Microsoft, okay? It's just not going to happen. And sure enough, the numbers that Microsoft are now talking about for Teams are utterly staggering. So here's a couple of numbers. 2.7 billion meeting minutes in one day recently. God. How amazing is that? Guess That's that one like... couldn't have been an email. It's <laughs> <laughs> one hell of an email update. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a 200% increase from 900 million on the 16th of March. So in the period of half a month, it's doubled in use, right? That's crazy. Isn't that insane? There were, in terms of distance learning, you know, we talk about Zoom being used for education. Teams looks like it's being used for education as well uh, across for education customers with 183,000 tenants in 175 countries using Teams for education. That's mind-blowing. Mm -hmm. The interesting one was video calls. So who's doing video the most? Norway and the Netherlands are turning on video 60% of the time during calls. Australia is using it 57%, Italy 53%, Chile 52%, Switzerland 51%, Spain 49%. The UK, Canada and Sweden about 47% of the time. And in the US using it about 41% and 38%. Mexico and the US use it 41% and 38% respectively. Interestingly... India only use it 22% of the time, hmm. Singapore 26 South Africa 36 and France 37% of the time, and Japan 39% of the time. It's just interesting to see these different countries using it differently, different social norms, different sort of cultural things going on. Yeah, it's I'm making a habit of trying to turn on my video more and more, hmm. and I think others are trying to do the same as well. It's not, not totally widespread yet, but in the meetings I'm in. I have found that I guess this is one of the things you kind of pick up from working from home. One of the things that I find is that when I'm in a meeting, a uh, virtual meeting, that when I do not have my video turned on, I'm very easily distracted. Opening up another window, I'm yes. looking at a computer, I can open something else up. But when my video is when my video is showing me, and like right now I'm looking directly at you. But if I go through and I start looking at like our show notes and stuff, you can tell that I'm no longer looking at you. Now I mean it's but in a meeting, it's easy to tell when someone is no longer tuned in, or I can tell when you know they've got the the video is is one place and the camera somewhere else. I can tell they're looking at the at the video that's coming out. It's like, look here, pro tip: put the camera that you see of yourself, put it right below your camera, so that you can it looks like you're looking yes. at you. Like I know you're looking. Yeah. Everyone's always looking at themselves under the video because you want to see like how you're coming across. But and it's not it well. For some people, I'm sure it's a narcissistic thing. But for other people, it's like, I'm just trying to make sure that things are working the way they're supposed to be working. Sure. Keep your camera really close to that feed that you're looking at. So it looks like you're yeah. looking at the person next to you and you're not looking at, I don't know, somebody's chest or something like that if the camera's like way yeah. below it or way above Yeah. It. The problem I've got is my widescreen starts, if I look over here, yeah. my widescreen starts over there and ends over here. <laughs> it's really big. It so it's like, it's hard to... It's hard to uh, always be looking in the right spot. Yeah, it definitely Anyway, can. insane usage numbers from Teams. I think it's fascinating. Microsoft's never really been this transparent with numbers about usage of various services like this. And I love that they're doing it with Teams right now so that we're all seeing like, oh yeah, it's probably up. It's 
No, it's really, really up. Yeah. 2.7 billion meeting minutes in a day. That's insane. Yeah. And I know that there's been a couple little like hiccups and stuff, but effectively the meeting, like I was just in a meeting where like the demo, like screen sharing and audio didn't work that well in that team's meeting, but it still happened. It still happened. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah, fair. Another bit of news here. We have the title of this post is One Identity Across Yammer and Office. This is one of those, wow, it doesn't already do that kind of bits of news, but it's nice <laughs> that it's actually happening. So what Microsoft is doing starting in April of 2020, which is, I mean, it's kind of interesting. This, this article was posted on, oh, I've totally missed it. This article was actually posted last September. So I was going to say, I didn't realize, we didn't realize this was even happening. But starting right now, starting in April, Yammer profiles will be merged into your Office profile. So that's a bad way to say it because when you look at a little bit more detail, effectively, your Office profile that you have in Office 365 is really based on data coming from Azure Active Directory or Azure AD, your Microsoft identity. So things like your email address, your name, your title, your department, location, mobile phone, office phone, all that stuff, that's all coming from Azure AD as your single source of truth. What's going to be new about this is that Microsoft is going to start overriding your Yammer profile with the Azure AD data. So you will have a single source of proof. And this even includes your profile picture. Yeah, that's, oh God, I can't believe it's taken this long. Yeah, yeah so this article initially came out in 2019 and there's been an update to it, I believe, that's that like all the stuff is now rolled out or it's rolling out or something along those lines. But it's taken them a really long time to bring you know, Yammer into the fold, obviously. And well, it's nice that they're finally doing it. Yeah, exactly. Okay, other news. Microsoft, <laughs> now this one I've been saving, especially for UAC, because uh -oh. I love, because I know you love how Microsoft renames stuff. <sighs> this one is entitled, Introducing the New Microsoft 365 Personal and Family Subscriptions. So, Microsoft are renaming Office 365 to Microsoft 365, and as part of that, they're renaming the personal subscriptions, right? So I think it used to be like Home and something or other and something along those lines. Home Essentials or something? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Now moving them into Microsoft 3, or renaming them into Microsoft 365 Personal and Microsoft 365 Family. Now the interesting thing here is they're also going to do this on the commercial side as well, but there was already a Microsoft 365 offering. So now it's like as business essentials as being named into Microsoft 365 starter or something. I can't even remember. There's another package name for it or something like that. But there was already a Microsoft 365 offering, which included like the Intune stuff and other bits and pieces. So it's like, and windows -y licensing, I think as well. I can't remember. But I read this and I was like, man, AC is going to love this. <laughs> this is naming hell all over again. Oh yeah, here we go. Office 365 Business Essentials is being renamed Microsoft 365 Business Basic, which I don't know. I'm not sure if I'm a branding guy. I really don't much know much about branding, but I'm not sure how I feel about calling something basic. Mm, that's a, that's one of the things that I thought about. I was like, basic? Really? Okay. Yeah. 365 Business Premium is becoming Microsoft 365 Business Standard. So now... You bought premium and now you're getting standard. That's also a bit curious. Yeah. And Microsoft 365 Business will become Microsoft 365 Business Premium. So now you bought business premium, you're going to end up with business standard, and then you're going to look at like, hold on, I already own business premium, but I've been downgraded to business standard and I now need to upgrade again to business premium? <laughs> That's going to confuse some people, I think. <laughs> Fortunately, these are all just the commercial ones, so commercial end users shouldn't really know anything about their licensing, right, really. 
but consumers will notice on the consumer side going from Office 365 to Microsoft 365. When I look at the final names, it's like, okay, this does make sense because everything's trying to be Microsoft 365 and I get it. Yeah. And before it seemed like things were just being added New product names were being added without, or new SKUs were being added without looking at all the other ones that were there. And maybe that's not true, but maybe it, at least that's the way it seems. I don't know. Gotcha. I mean, I gave yeah. up. I mean, yeah, it irritates the hell out of me, but I just gave up on this whole thing. I feel like I'd be, you know, just, I'd be like the kid that's standing at the door that says pull and I'm just sitting there trying to push it open the entire time. Like, I give up. <laughs> Fair enough. Fortunately, we don't have to worry about E1, E3, and E5 being renamed. <laughs> We've got them. Yeah. So we're good with that for now. For now. So yes, some lovely renaming goodies. I've got a, a short but sweet one. You know the managed metadata service in SharePoint? One of the oldest, well, I guess profile profile service is probably the oldest, but coming in a close second, <laughs> managed <laughs> metadata service. <laughs> yeah, Microsoft has moved in a way, or they've at least rebuilt the managed metadata management Manager, oh, the term the term manager. I guess it is now a part of the SharePoint Admin Center in the Content Services section of the Admin Center, and it gives you what they call it gives you a modern integrated controls for the creation and management of organizational taxonomies and glossaries, and they've also increased the number of terms that are supported at the tenant level from two hundred thousand to one. Million. Million. So they've also got content type galleries in there as well that you can go take a look at. It is all of this For, stuff is in what do we call it? it uh, anticipation, getting ready for Project Cortex because MMS is a very big piece of that. So they do say, yeah. they do say that they will have new APIs ready to empower custom development using Microsoft Graph and RESTful syntax for MMS. That's what I'm waiting for. Yeah, I'm really curious to see the implementation of this. <laughs> yeah, interesting, interesting. I have, you know, they've got to start off with the UI. They want people using the service and all that. That's cool. But for me, yeah, how they put this into Graph and the RESTful syntax stuff is going to be, RESTful APIs are going to be the most interesting this has been, like I said, one of the most lacking areas right behind Profile Service, which also has ghastly APIs from a decade ago, probably a decade ago, close to it, which are just horrific to work with and um, are in much need of an upgrade. Are not getting an upgrade, but are getting a replacement, I believe, So, which will take some time. But anyway, it's great to see Management Service getting this. You got anything else for us this week? Yes, we have... One interesting tidbit here, detecting large-scale cryptocurrency mining attacks against Kubernetes clusters. This was a blog post uh, on the Microsoft Azure security blog. As it turns out, Microsoft have found, using the capabilities in the Azure Security Center, that there's a number of clusters that have been targeted for people dropping in Bitcoin mining containers into your Azure, into your Kubernetes clusters. And you're thinking, wow, that's a gaping security hole. And you're like, well, yeah, absolutely. And the way that they're doing it is by incorrectly configuring the Kubernetes dashboard so that it's available from outside of your cluster insecurely. And people are able to go into the dashboard and create and add containers and spin up new containers. And so the example that they show, there's this Monero miner container, Monero, something like that, Miner, which is a 
a coin mining miner, and uh, putting it in a container and loading it up on your Kubernetes cluster. And in this case, they've got 10 of them running on this person's cluster, which, uh, which are pretty curious. But so, yeah, obviously, you know, AKS out of the box comes pretty secure. Like, you'd have to take steps to publish your dashboard publicly, which is not ideal, but it's pretty cunning. Rather than trying to you know, take down your app or hack your data, they're just like, cool, I'm going to mine some coins. Yeah, exactly. That's crazy. Isn't it? People come up with the craziest stuff. Hey, so, are you ready for some picks? I am. Let's do it. AC's Voitanos delivers on-demand video-based training for developers on the latest SharePoint extensibility model from Microsoft in his course, Mastering the SharePoint Framework. Back to the show. Okay. I've already mentioned one of my picks. I'm not going to go into that, the one about the, the Indian call center scam operation. So why don't you kick us off? What do you got for us this week, AC? I have an old link I've been sitting on for a little while. Someone who has a Tesla with version 1.5 of the autopilot hardware, he went through the entire process of what it would look like if you wanted to upgrade it to V3 hardware. That included adding the cameras, adding the computer, and all this stuff. This Now, let me be very clear. This is not something that you're going to be able to do because the computer, all, first of all, it's not supported by Tesla. Number two, it's a hell of an undertaking. Number three, it's going to be pretty damn expensive too. I'm still waiting for my V3 computer upgrade for them to tell me that it's available right now. Well, that it's available to, to put in the car. I know some people that have gotten theirs already, but there's nobody, I don't know anybody locally that's gotten one yet. So I'm waiting to see what that update is. But yeah, it's, it's from teslarati.com. It was an interesting like kind of documentary on what this guy did. So mm. eh, kind of cool geeky thing. I'm going to watch the video. That's it's, awesome. It is cool. I love people hacking on their cars and doing different stuff and things like that. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty cool. There's a channel on, I think it's called Rich Rebuilds. Yeah, yeah, he's fantastic. YouTube. And he, you know, he's rebuilt multiple Teslas and done a bunch of stuff. And that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's done an amazing, he started, he tried to get parts from Tesla and to rebuild cars. Like he would buy salvage ones and try and, and get them up and yeah. running again. And he's done a lot to document his process, but then he's also fought because he's tried to create his own Tesla third-party repair shop in Massachusetts and Mm. getting access to the parts and everything. He's walked through the process. He actually did a GoFundMe or some sort of a fundraising campaign to actually stand up the, the operation. He's got videos showing you how to do some of the fixes yourself. You can get, you know, if you can get certain parts, which right now it's it's very hard to get brand new parts to fix your car. Like if my door handle, so my I've got the Model S where the door handles present themselves. They they get sucked into the door and then they kind yeah, of present themselves when you unlock. Mm-hmm. And one of my I've had it happen now twice now where the door handle broke. I really just wanted to get the part and then see a video on how to go through and replace it because it's mm. just all you got to do is just really just take a panel off, mount a new, take the door handle off, mount a new one, connect some wires, put the door panel back on, ta-da, you're done, right? Yeah. But you can't buy the handle. And so he kind of shows you, he's got a video somewhere buried in there where you can, if you can find a Tesla that's been totaled, find the part that you're looking for, go get the part, and then he shows a video of how you can actually repair it yourself. It's kind of interesting. So he's done a good job on this channel. I love people figuring stuff like this out. Yeah. Hey, Elon, if you're listening, you should let people do this to their cars. Mm. Like, you're a hacker. Let people hack on your cars. And if you're listening and you'd like to come on the show, we'd love to have you on the show. Yeah, might as well. (laughs) While we're at it. You can even come on and get baked if you like. (laughs) We won't even turn the video on. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's right. There'll be no evidence. Yeah, exactly. I just want to. I just want to hear you talking about uh, crazy stuff you're working on. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So how about you? That's a good pick. The last one. I'll be short and sweet uh, since I got two this week. The second one is a YouTube video of a time lapse of the Soyuz assembly of their rocket. So Ooh. yeah, it shows sort of a time lapse of various parts of putting a Soyuz rocket together along with the satellite that sits on top of it. So you can go, Russia is notoriously good at doing horizontal rocket assembly, mm. right? They were the, NASA originally always did vertical rocket assembly, hence the VAB, mm -hmm. uh, vehicle assembly building, but it's all vertical. Mm -hmm. So I guess the V stands for vertical too. I don't know. NASA always did it vertical. Russia did it horizontal. And now the likes of SpaceX and ULA and things like that do it horizontally as well, I believe, for the most part. But yeah, you can see a, a time lapse of it all going on, mm. how it all comes together. It's kind of mind-boggling. Cracks me up. There's, you know, there's like dudes sticking bolts through holes and like connecting bits of rocket together. And you're like, well, I mean, I guess when it comes down to it, it's bolts, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> it's about bolts it. Bolts and welds. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it just sort of cracks me up that, you know. At some point, it comes down to a guy sticking a bolt in a hole. Yeah. yeah. Ah, cool pick. I, you know, you get you had two picks. I really should have thrown another one on there. but And it dawned on me what we were talking about. And I, I should have picked one that was so obvious. It was Tesla's um, ventilator. Did you see that video? I haven't seen the video, no. It's pretty interesting. I have to look it up. I'll go pull this one since you got two picks. I'll, and I'll just mention it really quick. I'll find it and add it in the show notes. They took an interesting approach. It's like a three-minute video. They built a ventilator, but they decided their approach was we don't want to, we want to use parts that we know that our engineers know. So they're using parts mm. from the Model 3. They don't want to use parts from the open market because they don't want to take the supply off the market for companies that are actually building ventilators. So they were like, well, let's go, let's pilfer our supply to build it. Oh yeah, that makes sense. And they showed how to do it. They're like, you know, here's the display system. It's coming from a Model 3. Here's the control unit. We use this to filter the air. We use this for this. It was interesting. I mean, wow. they haven't said how fast they can actually build them. I really hope it's not like a publicity stunt. Yeah. It is interesting, at least, and an interesting approach. So hopefully it's a way to help. Yeah, I'll take a look at the video. That sounds pretty good. Awesome. All right. Good to great test of our streaming setup and things. We'll see how it goes. I don't know if we'll publish the stream, but we'll but we'll review it and see how we did. And and we look forward to doing some streamed episodes of the show in the future once we get all the kinks ironed out. So um, bear with us and we'll try again soon. Absolutely, yeah. It's um, I know I screwed up a few times, so I may, end up I may try and pull that down off my uh, Twitch before somebody actually grabs it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to call you AC Spielberg shortly. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, man. The way my computer doesn't <laughs> feel that way, it's been telling me it's been at 90% the entire time we've been doing this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's grinding. All right, yep. well, have a good one, AC. Stay safe, and we'll talk to you next week. You too, buddy. Good to see you again. Did you like this episode? Please tweet about it and drop a five-star review in your favorite podcast app. It helps people find out about our show and grow our audience, and we'd really appreciate it. If you have a question for us, go to microsoftcloudshow.com forward slash questions, where you can submit it as text or record it as a wave or MP3 and provide us a link so we can play it on the show. You can also subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or your podcatcher of choice. And finally, sign up for our mailing list by heading over to microsoftcloudshow.com, where you'll get notices of each episode as well as the show notes sent to you directly each week. We'll be back with a new episode next week. Thanks for listening.